This is a special edition of the Tech on Tap podcast, a minicast, if you will, where we ring in Solid Fire's Analyst Day by interviewing Val Berkovici to get the scoop on today's storage industry altering announcement. Bring on the future. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi and this is a special minicast where we talk about the analyst day that Solifier is holding today, June 2nd. What we did was we got Val Berkovici cornered last time we were out in Sunnyvale and we had him spill the beans about the analyst day and tell us all about what Solifier has planned for the storage industry. Now, they're saying they're going to change the storage industry and just take a listen here and see for yourself. I personally think it's it's a realistic goal, but, you know, just take a listen and see what you think. All right, Tech on Tap podcast crew here. Me and Andrew Sullivan are sitting here with the one, the only, Cloud Czar still? No, not Cloud Czar. We talked about that already. Val Berkovici, the Solifier CTO. Uh, Val, there's something going on soon? What's going on? I, I've heard about the next thing and that'll change storage. Change the entire storage industry yeah. is all we promise to do. Is that all? That's all we That's promise. a small promise. Nothing less, nothing more. So I've been seeing a lot about this on social media and in other channels, and I'm really intrigued about how you're going to change the storage, storage industry, an industry that really has been disrupted beyond belief at this point. What are you going to do to further disrupt it? Great question. So let me tell you. This is all obviously based on a June 2nd announcement. It will be history now by the time everyone hears this. And on June 2nd, we're announcing a couple of things at the Solid Fire Analyst Day, which we're going to live stream the keynote of. What we're announcing is that you're going to be able to not just see new node types, so new products, if you are from Solid Fire, and not just further milestones in terms of integration with a NetApp data fabric, but we're looking at the entire ownership experience for storage from end to end. So as you said, yeah, there's been lots of disruption on the flash side. There's been lots of disruption on the cloud side. You could argue there's been lots of disruption in terms of you know developers now dictating the terms for storage and DevOps teams more so than the declining uh, you know, role of storage admin over time. But the ownership experience really hasn't changed that much. You still got these environments where, particularly if you're CapExing storage, You've got to work with your preferred vendor through an RFP or not to kind of qualify and size the kind of system you want. You've got to work through the hardware and software and support costs for that, at least, if not more line items. You've obviously got to go through the, um, the installation and then the maintenance and capacity planning phase. And then the most dreaded thing, I think, the reason why people effing hate storage is often that renewal time, three years down the road, where you've got to re-up on hardware, sometimes forklift upgrades. You've got to re-up on software support and, and um, software, I should say, entitlement and on support. And that's just a painful exercise for people that have to deal with that storage infrastructure layer. So what we're announcing is an extension of a very cool program that SolidFire has had for a while now called Flash Forward, which is the ability to you know, reduce, I think, the concern around sizing, deploying, and then renewing systems. We've actually announced a very exciting enhancement called 
flash forward capacity planning and flash forward capacity licensing specifically. And that's where we're giving customers a perpetual license now for solid fire technology on a simply fixed increment capacity basis, which means that once you've purchased that software entitlement for solid fire, it doesn't matter how often you renew hardware or what type of hardware you renew into, a bigger or a smaller node in your cluster over time. It doesn't really matter you know, whether you're consuming more or less capacity because we're doing it on effective capacity. So if your global efficiency rates, your dedupe and compression rates are better than expected, you actually get a very, very good deal. But on a solid fire side, we at least get something predictable that we can license. Um, and you can obviously expand that in fixed increments over time. So it takes away that really, really painful discussion. I've heard some sales reps at various companies, including ours, say that they know it's such a difficult discussion that they love to slip their, their renewal quotes under a door and run away you know, with, at their customer site sometimes. So it gets rid of all that. Um, and we're obviously going to detail exactly at, at what level it does, but uh, we're also being super transparent with our hardware costs. You know, a lot of people have a lot of conspiracy theories around you know, what the actual markup is on storage hardware, and increasingly over time, as software defined has evolved from a buzzword to a reality in terms of how storage is configured. Those of you that have studied solid fires technology know it's a very software defined architecture uh, that really de-emphasizes specific hardware um, dependencies altogether. We're being very transparent in that. We're basically saying the hardware you get from us is COGS plus 10% with the flash forward capacity licensing. And you have the option of licensing Element X and if you want to license Element X, you've got to source your own hardware. You've got to make sure that the chipsets are exactly at the right, the right chipsets at the right firmware revisions. You've got to, of course, be able to stock your own spares throughout the organization. And you've got to keep that you know, up to date on an ongoing basis as you continue to consume our technology. And if you want to take that burden on and you think you can do that at better than COGS plus 10%, that's entirely up to you. We will you know, enthusiastically sell you Element X in that scenario. But in the vast majority of our customer discussions, you know, after they realize what's involved in maintaining their own hardware and seeing the, uh, the absolute transparency of, of the COGS plus 10%, they realize it's a bargain to let us source the controllers, let us qualify the chipsets, let, let us ver validate that the firmware versions are correct on the motherboard as well as the various SSD and flash media. Let us you know, globally stock the parts, let us burn in the equipment, let us manage the delivery you know, to your data centers and so forth, there's a lot of value in that 10%. And it kind of takes that contentious and time-wasting discussion just off the table. And you can focus on what is the value and where are the pain points. You know, If you don't want to ever have to renew software entitlement, well, with this program, you never have to anymore. It's an optional program. And yes, we are starting off with 100 terabyte effective incremental licenses. But if you're a small to medium customer, you don't become a solid fire customer to buy one system. You become a solid fire customer because you either already have multiple tenants that you have to support or you plan over the short to medium term to add more and more tenants with zero additional management overhead or performance tuning overhead. And in that case, these 100 terabyte effective chunks make a lot of sense based on the analytics we've done with our existing and projected install base. So just to be clear, um, how, do you, how does this compare to, for example, consumption-based uh, pricing or, or consumption. It sounds like a cloud-based pricing almost, like AWS pricing, where I, you know, I only pay for what I use in the cloud, but I'm doing it on-prem instead. Is that is that something that's kind of akin to that? Or yeah, what Dave Wright did, CEO of SolidFire, is he challenged his product team to say, make 
our ownership experience as seamless as the core technology actually is. And one of the things I always reinforce to new people of SolidFire, whether they're just prospective customers or, or, uh, or people that don't use SolidFire, haven't touched it, is that it really is AWS -like storage, an AWS-like storage experience in a box. Uh, it, it, it isn't, you know, I like to catch people's attention by saying it's not a flash array. And it really isn't. It's a storage services system solution. Cloud in a box. Cloud in a box, exactly. And, and for a cloud in a box, you have to have a lot of automation built in towards the sizing of the system, the setup of the system, the ongoing maintenance of the system, and the capacity planning of the system. And all of those functions are built in and automatic you know, on solid fire clusters. And it's truly elastic. Cloud in a box doesn't just mean scale up, and it doesn't just mean scale up non-disruptively. It means scale down non-disruptively as well and turn off if you don't need it. All those things are actually built into the technology from day one, but the licensing models have been more conventional enterprise licensing models where you have to re-up your hardware every three years typically, you have to re-up your software entitlements and the support separately. We basically said now is support is still something you'll have to continue to pay on a subscription basis, but the hardware you have complete control over sourcing your own if, if it's supported by, by the Element OS software letting us do it at COGS plus 10%. Uh, and for the software entitlement, it's very, very simple. It's an enterprise license. So you can use that 100 terabytes that you're entitled to on a, at a chunk at a time anywhere throughout your enterprise. And once you've purchased that 100 terabytes, you never have to repurchase it again, which is a revolution in terms of the ownership experience for storage today. One hidden nugget in there that may have gotten glossed over is you are basically allowing the freedom to do it yourself, which also illustrates the value of why you would not want to do it yourself, right? So I mean, there's a lot of talk of HCI and you know, oh, I have the opportunity to manage it myself now and I can have control over it, but there's a cost to everything you do. And that's one thing that people don't think about until they have to be faced with it. And what you're doing is you're essentially saying, if you wanna do it, fine, go for it. We're not gonna stop you, but here's why you don't want to. And if you didn't do it, it isn't that much more to do it this way. That's exactly it. It also liberates you from your capacity planning now because SolidFire as a model has always had a, a simple, single capacity pool to size and use and, and, and plan around, but also a separate, single performance pool. And now we've taken that to the, the next level by saying you've got a set of software entitlements you manage, which are super simple, they're just these 100 terabyte effective chunks, and you've got a hardware pool that you manage separately. And that can be your hardware pool if it's supported. That can be you know, our capacity licensing-based software pool, or that can be the traditional SolidFire nodes. And you can intermix those in your clusters, by the way. But you've got complete control now over how you want to manage your storage infrastructure. And you no longer have to have this awkward symbiotic relationship between software entitlement and specific you know, controllers and specific shelves and so forth. All that complexity is done away with. And it kills the whole like, argument of lock-in. I mean, so the lock-in argument has always been I'm stuck with a storage vendor or I'm stuck with a software vendor, but you're, you're using the same software vendor, but now you can pay for what you're using, so that lock-in doesn't hurt as much. And if you don't want to pay for that, you just move it somewhere else, and now your capacity is at a different level, and you're paying for that instead. That's exactly it. So let me give you the, the, the most famous use case that a lot of our sales teams like to use because it's real. It's sort of the FedEx cluster reallocation, where you have 10 nodes in one system, one data center, let's say in the West Coast, and you're building out a brand new data center in the East Coast, and you're looking at your capacity utilization, and whether it's capacity or performance, which is super easy to figure out, you're underutilized on that West Coast data center. 
So all you have to do is you have to just, you know, literally non-disruptively live in production, take out about four or five of those nodes. You want four minimum for full data protection. FedEx them over across the country to the new data center, stand those up, and you you basically non-disruptively now reallocated all those hardware resources. In a traditional sense, you basically would have to have that software entitlement to that license for the new nodes, and you'd have to set, you know, negotiate the support separately. If you've got the you know, flash-forward capacity licensing model deployed now, and you've already purchased that effective capacity and a software license for that effective capacity, you have to do nothing in, in that reallocation because it's not tied to hardware. It's not tied to nodes or disks or shells. Yeah, I think that's an, an important thing to point out, right, specifically, is that if you are licensing in, in uh, that 100 terabyte increment, right, it doesn't matter if I have one 20-node cluster that's 100 terabytes or you know, four four node clusters that's a hundred terabytes or less, right? It is the exact same price from a licensing standpoint. It's the hardware that you are choosing or well, potentially choosing <laughs> to pay more for, depending on which one of those yeah. you go with. So yeah, it's a super interesting uh, model for how storage is licensed, right? Um, so so a bit of an opinion question. Do mm -hmm. you think that this will shift uh, storage, the, the cost of storage away from a CapEx model and more towards an OpEx model, or is that something that's still a little bit premature? You know, I think uh, I'm a big fan of pendulum swings in moderation, so to speak. So I, I think it'll start, it'll, it'll definitely shift the discussion. It'll kind of lay down a challenge to every other vendor to try and match the solution. And there's a lot of artificial ways through leasing programs, through, you know, financing programs that we've seen in the past. But it'll challenge vendors, you know, solutions to see if the technology at its core operates in that agile and infrastructure manner for storage. And clearly it's going to challenge the licensing models of existing storage vendors. But I predict, you know, overwhelming endorsement from customers because it really is customer inspired. They were asking us to make their ownership experience simpler. I believe all the savvy analysts, you know, will figure out that, yeah, this is what customers want. So it's the next evolution of software-defined storage is an actual software-based licensing model for production, you know, high-performance storage, particularly in a multi-tenant context. Uh, it's, and I'm really looking forward to what the actual, to your point, Andrew, business users. When a business, you know, consumes 100 terabytes of storage, they don't think of it at any lower level than that. And sometimes there's awkward conversations between storage teams and line of businesses, you know, asking, you know, why do we need more funding just to, you know, redeploy more storage or upgrade more storage, you know, reallocate resources. And it's all tied to legacy business models, which isn't the case anymore as of June 2nd. It reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the software model with the per core licensing, per seat licensing. You know, you're only paying for what you're using, whether it's Exchange or whether it's SQL or, you know, whatever application you're doing it. So it's actually an application-inspired licensing model, it sounds like. And, and that's where everything's going, right, with DevOps movement and you know, OpenStack and everything else in the industry that's disrupting it. So we talked about changing the storage industry, and Andrew touched on it a little bit. You know, if it's driving that pricing model from, from CapEx to OpEx, or is it the other way around? No, yeah, from CapEx to yeah. OpEx. So is that is that the impetus for saying that you're changing the, the storage industry? Is that where that inspiration for that? Yeah, I think, you know, from? we're all saying the same thing. We can call it the shift from CapEx to OpEx. We can call it the major influence of cloud and, and cloud-like consumption models. It's fundamentally addressing that. It's just customers... And particularly service providers cannot afford to be in business by pre-buying a lot of infrastructure that's the most rapidly declining asset in the business ahead of time and then, you know, figuring it out after, you know, make it up and make losses up in volume, right? So uh, that just is good business, fundamentally, isn't good business. 
So this is a fantastic you know, licensing model, ownership model for true service providers that have to operate at a profit as a business. But most digital enterprises, digitally transforming enterprises, most very evolved IT teams that have gotten way beyond virtualization and, and are in the maturing automation, offering true services and service consumption to so their internal users, clearly they need the same thing. And they, they don't have the luxuries in this day and age of over allocating and you know, budgeting more than they need. They'd love to be able to just CapEx even what they're using and then CapEx some more later on, but you know, not necessarily have these giant chunks of spend over time because no one has those budgets anymore. It's funny you say that because I've been advocating for years of you're paying for 100% of that gear. If you're only using 10%, mm-hmm. it's suddenly a really expensive 10%. So you want to drive that utilization up. And it's a perfect example of not everybody can legitimately do that, right? Yeah. So it's it's uh, definitely a, a cost-effective way of changing that license and isn't it ironic, you know, not to be another Alanis Morissette song here, but by the time you actually get close to that maximum utilization, so you think from an investment perspective, wow, got my ROI, I'm really proud. That's panic stations, right? Because now your your infrastructure from either a capacity or performance perspective is tapped out. Yeah. And you're, you, you sometimes have to operate under crisis conditions, mm-hmm. which is not exactly leverage with a vendor, to, to basically expand that storage infrastructure. And you can, you can avoid crises with this model. Yeah. You know, with the technology in this model now, you can literally run a, a, a much less stressful business. And, and I was going to touch on that, actually, because as a, you know, a former admin and you know, sysadmin, storage admin, whatever. Help desk guy. Help desk guy, et cetera, et cetera, whatever I'm doing now. Something, something. I love Bantus Tyler, right? Storage janitor. We should have a storage janitor, right? So, I mean, you you allocate storage and you say exchange is a good example. I'll use that one again. So, you know, of course, we're all moving to Office 365 model, but mailbox sizes, trying to put a quota on a mailbox size and telling people you can only have two gigs of mail, people freak out, right? So then it becomes this battle between, you know, management and the storage admin or the, you know, the exchange admin. I can't do quotas, so I have to just give you as much as you want. If I'm doing that, again, to the leverage of the storage vendor, I'm going to have to keep buying storage because I, I am using it now. You know, it's, it's going to get used. And that's, you're seeing that across the board in, in pretty much any capacity-driven standpoint. You know, it just, it's just how it works. And that's human nature. So you know, more, you know, if I've got it, I'm going to use it. So, yeah, the, I mean, the bigger picture, the refreshing sort of discovery for me working with Dave Wright and his team is just how customer-centric they are and just how directly they respond to these customer needs. They, you know, there's, there's no dancing around difficult topics. It's either you know, a yes or a no in most of the conversations, and, and you know, typically a justified yes or a no either way. But where there's power to actually dramatically change that customer experience as we're doing with flash forward capacity licensing, we're just going ahead and doing it. And we're doing it recognizing that you know, there's different booking systems for NetApp and, and for the solid fire side of the business still today. We're do, recognizing that there's different revenue recognition and all sorts of ramifications. Uh, and so there's all sorts of mature organizational antibodies and barriers towards doing something like this. But we're still just, you know, one of the reasons why George Curry and Dave Hitz are such enthusiastic supporters of the acquisition is because it is letting us learn from the solid fire side. You know, what is a very modern, agile, customer-centric business in the storage and data management industry and applying that, not standing in the way, applying that. And over time, I already think we're seeing the beginning of influence on the ONTAP, on the ONTAP 9 announcements in terms of the simplification of the portfolio, the simplification of AFF consumption models and so forth. And we're going to continue to see that best of both worlds where 
there's a lot of maturity that we've gone through as an engineering organization on the ONTAP side that the solid fire guys are looking forward to learning about. And there's just a lot of, of refreshing, you know, modern customer experiences on the solid fire side that, you know, the ONTAP, Storage Grid, AltaVault and so forth sales teams are learning about. So that's a really interesting topic, Val, because you're, you're one of the few people uh, here at, at the, the new NetApp, so mm-hmm. to speak, right, the, the portfolio-wide, who's seen both sides. Um, what, what are your, you know, sort of perceptions? What are the things that you're seeing are being adopted from SolidFire into ONTAP, into the rest of the portfolio, and the inverse? I think, uh, you know, liaison or ambassador between, the, you know, sort of the, the different departments in the company is definitely part of the job title, part of the role. Uh, so the early examples I'm seeing are, are things that my team is primarily responsible for now, which is how do we scale an NDA process, right? So on the SolidFire side, it's been very informal. It's been kind of naturally restricted by the product managers to make sure they don't have the Osborne effect going on and so forth. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that the NDA process at NetApp, you know, maturing over the years have, have taught me in terms of how to scale that in a, in a measured and, and responsible but also productive way. So I'm able to apply what I've learned from the NetApp side of the house and scale out an NDA process to more of the solid fire field. And ultimately, the what we're doing in our very first joint NDA call coming up in June as well, actually, is the same thing. It's now going to be an integrated, unified NDA process. So that's just one example, you know, from NetApp to SolidFire. I think uh, things like the ONTAP 9 headroom feature are just a, a tangible example of taking some of that utter simplicity of, of ownership and capacity planning on a SolidFire side and transferring it, which is a non-trivial process, obviously, to a much more feature-rich ONTAP environment, yet still being able to yield useful capacity planning information for a lot more storage services enabled on on tap side, so there's that's just the beginning, sort of just you know the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's possible on both sides. There's still a lot of familiarization and education on both sides required as to what each really does, and you know we ran hard in Q4 and we got past that, and now we're actually standing back a little bit and looking at what needs to be done to have you know a better planned FY17, and it's it's just fun topics all over the all over the map and. Uh, it's a privilege to be in the middle of, of a lot of them, and that's what I'm looking forward to doing is tearing down a lot of walls and barriers between both sides and, and letting people see just how cool the other really is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a perception that you know everybody has of the other, and that needs to be torn down, and, and the reality needs to set in because there is value in both sides, mm-hmm. and you just need to address that and approach it from the right angle, and you're going to make a more powerful overall organization on the whole. So, All right, Val, so... You made the bold claim of changing the storage industry, and I think you backed it up pretty well, but let's say somebody doesn't agree. How would they get in touch with you to challenge your assertion or to tell you what a great job that you're doing overall? The most fun way, clearly, is to let, let's engage in a Twitter conversation to the extent we can do that 140 characters at a time. But rumor has it that they're going to remove the links for, for um, external articles and images from that 140 character limits, and maybe we have a few more characters to articulate nice. ourselves. Yeah, that would be nice. So Valbu, ValB00 on Twitter is a fun way to have a public discussion. Uh, on DM, of course, on Twitter uh, is another way to do it. And if you're listening to this podcast, you should know what my email address is, and that's valb at netapp.com. Excellent. All right. So if you want to get in touch with Val, please do so. Also, you know, let us know if you have any questions at podcast at netapp.com. All right. That was great. We we got the chance to speak to Val Berkovici, me and Andrew, and you know it was a good time. Um, we actually spent a lot more time after that discussing things in general about the cloud industry and, and Solifier as a whole. 
Um, if you want to hear a more in-depth discussion about the Analyst Day and the announcement, we actually cover it in this week's uh, episode 42 of the podcast where we are doing an ONTAP 9 overview. So stick around after the overview of ONTAP 9 to hear me and Glenn talk about the Solifier announcement in more detail. If you'd like to hear more from the Tech on Tap podcast, be sure to check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. We do have an RSS feed for SoundCloud, so check it out. Send us an email at podcast at netapp.com if you have show suggestions or general comments, or follow us on Twitter at netapp. Thanks for listening.